Well, good morning and welcome everybody one more time. My name is Dirk, lead pastor here at Encounter Church. And before we get into uh, the content of part four, our final installment of the series, How to Be Happy, I want to give a quick preview of next series. It's a series based on the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. We're calling it Under the Sun. And just what this series is about is, uh, is learning from a man who spent his whole life very, very successfully climbing to the top of his particular ladder only to find out at the end of life that the entire time that ladder was leaning against the wrong building. And so this is a cautionary tale that we're trying to like pick up some musings of him of how maybe not to lead our lives and what to do instead. It's a great series for you to invite somebody to, especially if they're asking some of these big questions about life and they're searching for depth or searching for meaning. That one kicks off again right here next week, Sunday, a week from today, Under the Sun. Today, though, we're in part four of this series, uh, How to Be Happy. It's a series in the book of Philippians here in the New Testament. And as we kind of get into this series, I want to share with you some of, the, some of the angst that I have about this particular message because we're talking about angst. We're talking about worrying. We're talking about anxiety. And I'm, uh, I was at Reframe uh, Ministry earlier this week on Wednesday. I was expecting somebody to like cheer. Yeah, something. Okay, both of you. Yeah, that, awesome. Hey, I, was, I was at Reframe. I'm a table leader. And one of the guys at my table was like, um, hey, so like what's, uh, what's on the agenda for Sunday? Like what are we talking about in church? And I said, is Philippians 4. So we're talking about anxiety. And his eyes got like really, really big. He's like, whoa. He's like, dude, this is, that's a huge deal for a lot of people. And I'm like, thank you, Cam. I appreciate that one so much. I got permission to call him out, so that's okay. It's not like you're going to be next or anything, but you should stay tuned just in case. Um, and we're talking about anxiety today. We're talking about those fears, those concerns, those worries. And in Philippians chapter 4, and like what to do with that. But just to kind of get us on the same page, I'm not the only one who's like anxious about this. I'm not the only one who carries this worry or this angst along with me. Because I know there's tons and tons of people in the room, just like what Cam said. It's such a huge deal for so, so many of us. Just some research uh, coming at you it is that one, uh, one study found that uh, Americans, the average American, worries up to two hours a day about what they're doing in life, who they're doing life with, about whether or not they're happy or they're as happy as they could be, where they should live, just worrying about things. Another huge study that I find that was just terrifying, at least to me, is that the average high school student today has the similar stress level as a psych patient in the 1950s. And it just hit me like, oh my word. And there's a ton of speculation around like, like why we're so stressed out about why there's these high levels of anxiety all the time. And of course, a lot of it has to do with just this, this like fake sense of connectedness or this always onness from like text messages, right? And social media just always being like connected to other people, but not in like a, like in a real and helpful and uh, in reality kind of way with another human being, which leads to the next thing is this increased level of of disconnectedness because we're actually spending less and less face-to-face -face time with each other and substituting some other ways along with that. And so I just, I want to share with everybody, there's this one thing, one phenomenon that some, some researchers have pointed to and says, I think it has something to do with this. And I want to share it with you because I share this with a lot of people individually, like one-on-one, -on -one, because this is a church with a, with, a, with a mobile generation, kind of going places. A lot of you are here 
for a little while, and that's awesome. We really hope that you dig in while you're here, but you're not going to stay here, and you kind of know that. You're moving on from here, and I want to acknowledge that. And some of the advice that I'll give you if we get a chance to do like a one-on-one coffee kind of thing is to say, listen to me, wherever you're moving on to, as soon as you find yourself in the search for a house or an apartment, you need to also be looking for a new spiritual home, a church. Because like what these researchers are found is that the angst and the stress, the anxiety that comes with a geographic move, uprootedness, going to a place where you might not know a single other person causes huge amounts of isolation, loneliness, and then the concern, the worry, the fear, the stress, the anxiety comes quickly on the heels after that. And I say this to everybody because of the generation of this church and because of how you might very well be in the most geographically mobile generation in the history of humanity. And all of the angst and the loneliness and the isolation that is going to come with each one of those moves, find a place, a new spiritual home, a new church to dig in, please. It just might save your life. But I say all of this to say, like, listen, listen, stress, we know it's a problem. We know that anxiety is a problem. Some of it may very well be self-inflicted and we have to be honest about that and acknowledge that this morning. That some of it may be like if if you're worried about that giant project due in the school tomorrow or at work tomorrow and you haven't gotten started on it, that's a self-inflicted wound, right? That's called procrastination. That's, That's maybe on you. If you're like surround yourself and you're like, man, it seems like everybody around me is so negative all the time. That could very well be too. Like you can unfollow your dear aunt who just posts all those stuff. Like you don't have to see that every day all the time. Some of this could be, could be self-inflicted. Others of it is completely unavoidable. In fact, I found one research, one study that said that, said that there's actually looks to be a set of traits, like this genetic traits that come along with just how you're wired, how, what you're born into, that correlates to higher levels of worry and higher levels of anxiety later on in life. Nothing you can do about it. And now some of you are worried that you may have that, right? Like there's just so much that comes into this thing. And listen, I just back all of this down to the simple truth, simple truth that this anxiety, this is a problem. We know that it's a problem. And that there is help, it does get better. And this morning we're going to see in the book of Philippians that God actually is going to show us a way to provide some hope out from it and put a whole thing in perspective this week. So we're going to go there. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 4. There's Bibles underneath the, the chairs in front of you as we dig into this thing. The words are also going to be on the screen behind me. And in Philippians chapter 4, it starts up in verse 4. In an appropriate way, as we're talking about how to be happy and specifically fighting anxiety here today, how to be happy starts off in verse 4. Paul reminds us, the author here, he says, Hey, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And it's an appropriate place to start because consider this for just a minute. The joy that we're talking about in this series This is not just like a how to be happy, like wear a smile and pretend like everything is okay, no matter what, all the time. That's not the kind of happiness that we're talking about here today. The kind of happiness that Paul is talking about in Philippians is this deep sense of joy. That's the word that's used here in this rejoice, rejoice. It's the the root word there is joy. The joy that he's talking about, listen, is joy. It says that it's a pervasive sense of wellness 
even when circumstances are anything but. So for Paul writing this from prison and looking back in his life and seeing prison and probably looking forward in life and anticipating some prison coming up, he's writing these things down and goes, listen, I can choose joy. I can choose to rejoice. I can choose to be in what we're calling it happy because I have this pervasive sense of wellness, even though whatever circumstances I'm in, it might not be. But consider this, these are related thoughts that the anxiety and the fear, the worry that we're talking about this morning is almost exactly equally opposite of that. Anxiety is this pervasive sense of unwellness, that something is wrong, even though circumstances may well just be in line. So it doesn't matter that things are just humming along splendidly. You still carry along this overwhelming sense that it's off, something's missing. It's not well, no matter what. And that's what Paul's addressing here. We just have to set those things up as opposites. And when we're fighting anxiety, this is what he has for us in verse five. He says, now let your gentleness be evident to all, The Lord is near. He's building up to something. Verse 6, do not be anxious, there's our word, about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And listen, we're going to get to that peace of God which transcends all understanding. We're going to get to that guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to get there. But what stands in our way is what Paul identifies stands in the way is that anxious anxiety in the top of verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. I think if we're honest, if you're going to be honest, You hate me a little bit for just reading that do not be anxious about anything because for some of you, like your blood pressure goes up a few points. You're like, you're gonna tell, you're seriously, you're gonna tell me not to be anxious. Great plan, right? Isn't that that a lot like, isn't that a lot like telling somebody who struggles with like falling asleep at night? Listen, just work harder at sleeping. It's like, great, yes, thank you for the helpful advice. I much appreciate that. That's really gonna help me, you know, doze off tonight. No, so today, today, what this is about, this is a not about, listen, just try harder at not worrying. Try harder at not being anxious. That is so far from what we're doing. What we're doing this morning is identifying what to do with that stress, what to do with the worry that you have, what to do with the anxiety that you experience day in and day out. And to understand that, we have to start kind of splicing this and dissecting the word a little bit because there's a lot of different like, like buckets we could put some of this stuff in. And what we do with it depends a little bit about what it is that you're dealing with or that you're experiencing. And so on the very outset, when we're talking about this anxiety and we're talking about worry, there's an, there's an element of like, Is he telling me, is he telling me just to not have really any concern for anything at all? To to not plan well. And on that side, it's like, no, no, that's, this is not what he is talking about. He is not talking about, hey, listen, don't make plans for the future at all. Everything is going to be fine. In fact, he's very much uh, probably quoting or at least uh, referencing the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, um, don't worry 
uh, for who by worrying could add a single hour to their life. Uh, He's probably like referencing some of that. That's where he gets that courage to, to tell them, don't be anxious because after all, Jesus, Jesus said it. And he's definitely not talking about like, hey, like don't make plans for the future at all. In fact, when we look at this, um, the, 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 he's not saying things like, don't worry about, about managing your finances well. He's saying, don't worry about you know, locking the doors at night. Don't worry about putting new tires on your car because there is snow in the forecast. I'm sorry, it needed to be said. Some of you needed to hear that. That one's real, thank you. He's saying, after you do those things, after you make preparations, the worry is what comes after you've done everything you needed to do. After you manage your money as best as you possibly can. After you lock the doors. After you get the new tires put on your car. After you do all these things and you still experience that angst, you still experience that worry, that's what he's talking about. It's that thing right there. One author in writing about this said that it's not so much this concern about the thing. That's a good and noble thing. We should have concerns about that thing. But it's the disproportionate worry and fear we have around that thing. Everything that happens after we lock the doors and manage our money and take care of our vehicle is the concerns and the fears that we have that just kind of linger on. I think this might be helpful to somebody this week, especially if you struggle with this, this stress, this worry, this anxiety, if it keeps you up at night, or maybe you're with somebody, one in five Americans this year are gonna be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. You might be sitting next to somebody who will be, right? So pay attention. Um, this might be helpful. I came across, this comes from a... Um, uh, biblical, biblical scholar uh, Thomas Kepley, and he's writing about this, and uh, he's telling a story about a woman that he knew that just struggled with fear, struggled with worry all the time. And she just like, it, it plagued her, it got, like, consumed her, it was debilitating, it kept her from functioning in her everyday life. And so what she did is she, she got a journal. And every time something came up that made her worry, She'd just get a pen and she'd start writing it down. And she wouldn't evaluate it and she wouldn't try to process through it. She was just uh, keeping a log of everything that she was worried about all the time. And, uh, you know, every day she'd make a couple entries, a couple weeks. It turned into a month and she had a number of things, uh, quite a few things, in the entry that she was just worried about. And then she started, at the end of the month, she started looking back and, and adding them up. And what she found was interesting. That might be helpful to some of you if you did the exercise. She found that of everything that kept her up at night, of everything that her mind just sort of drifted onto that kept her worrying all the time, she found 40% of the things recorded in her journal were things that she had no control of whatsoever. 40% of the things that that kept her up at night were, were, were things that were really never going to even happen to her. Like she was, she was worried about, about like being the victim of a, of a plane crash. And it's like, well, people, like you don't fly ever. What are you worried? She's like, I know, but I have this fear that like a plane is going to like fall into my house or something. And, and she's looking at this and going, why am I, I worried about that? These things are not, are never going to happen, 40% of them. 40% of them are things that are never going to happen. She's worried about car accidents or inexplicably some, some spouse like up and leaving her, right? Somebody close to her and just these things happening. Is there any indication that that's going to happen? No, I'm just worried about it. 40% of the things in her book were not 
were, were nothing that, um, that, that were never going to happen. But she wasn't done. Because the next category she starts looking at are 30% of things that happened in the past that she can do nothing about today. And so she starts categorizing these things, right? And she's going through her journal and she's like, 30% of things are just regrets that I have. Why did I stay at the company where I was so unappreciated and my boss thought so little of me? Why did I slug it out there for years? Why didn't I go back to school? Big things. But for, for her, there were also the tiny little things. She, she would worry and obsess over when I was at that dinner party and I made that comment and it, and it embarrassed me. And then every, everybody like, like laughed at me or maybe they didn't laugh, but I just thought they were laughing. Why did I say that? I'm preaching to somebody here. You're like, yeah, that's me. I like play these scripts over and over in my mind. And it doesn't matter, but yeah, it doesn't matter. And there's nothing she could do about it. 30% of these things were events that happened in the past that don't matter today and there's nothing she could do about them today. And she still wasn't done. 12% of the things had to do with criticisms that either people leveled against her or just in her mind she thought people were thinking of her in a critical way. So these 12% of things were, were fears that she had around, around what if they think I'm wearing too much makeup or not enough? What if people think that I'm working too much outside the house and I'm not home with the kids enough, I'm trying to find this balance as if there is one universal, right? There's just this criticism that people have of how she's choosing to live her life. And she realizes that of those 12%, like that, those things really reflect more on those people than they do on me. So there's probably no point in like worrying and carrying the anxiety and the stress around that either. And then 10% of all of her fears and all of her worries, the anxiety that she carried was about her health. And she realized, I'm probably doing more damage to my health by worrying and stressing about this thing than what it's actually helping with. So if you're adding all of this up, 8%. 8% is the amount that she found left over at the end of a month. 8% of her fears and her worries, her anxieties, were about something that she could actually do something about, which means 92% of all of those things in her book of fears and worries and stress over the month were about things she could do nothing about at all, and it didn't even matter. I don't think she's the only one who'd come up with 92%. As a challenge, if you consider just keeping a journal of these worries and stresses and just writing them down, whatever they are, and I think that you might find the same. So many of those things are just something you can't do anything about at all. And those words of Jesus come back and say, who of you, by worrying, could add a single hour of life? No. But what about the 8% of actual fears, of the actual anxieties? What do we do? What do we do with that? This is, is going to get a little difficult. Um, this is the part where I'm, I'm going to maybe say some things that are going to challenge you and make you feel a little uncomfortable. This is the place where I kind of get in your, in your face a little bit. As a preacher, I'm going to call that, this is, where, this is what's convicting. <laughs> this is what has convicted me. 
as I came across this. It's challenging. I didn't want to necessarily go it, but I found it convicting. Uh, we're going to go. Paul isn't the only one to talk about that word for anxiety, that stress, those fears. He was citing Jesus, Jesus, and Paul were not the only two New Testament authors who wrote about this. Peter also picks up the word, and Peter picks it up, and he's writing to these Christians. He's writing to these people that are under an extraordinarily high amount of stress, of persecution. It was illegal to be a Christian. It was very, very difficult for them, and Peter is writing this letter trying to encourage them along, and he actually identifies stress and anxiety in the letter. And so we're going to go there from Peter to see what he has to say in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, Two thoughts. Try to, try to, if you can't, hold the whole thing in, in your mind. Number one, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. That's the first thought. And the second one is to cast all your anxiety, that's the word again, on him. Why? Because he cares. Because he cares for you. And so if you're like looking at this in like a paper Bible or online or something, you kind of see the whole thing written out and you see like these two lines are like subset in because they, they stand and they fall together. They're somehow connected. And this is the part that's remarkably, remarkably difficult is that there is an element and just if you disagree, that's fine, but just ask yourself, maybe just in the mirror by yourself with the person that you came here with something, and just to ask yourself, in whatever that anxiety level that you have, is there some sense in which that anxiety seems to be the opposite, the antithesis of that humility, that humbling part? Which is to say, is there some kind of element of pride that we're holding on to with the stress that we carry around with us all the time? Another way to describe this is to simply say, maybe, maybe anxiety for Peter is this. Maybe anxiety is simply saying, I got this. I can do this. I can carry it. No matter how heavy it gets, I'm strong enough. And there's an element of pride there. And I just wonder, maybe if it wasn't, if it wasn't like a mental thought that we kind of carry around or something in our heart that we're bringing with us into every conversation, what if, it wasn't, what if it wasn't an emotional thing? What if it wasn't a mental thing? What if it was a physical thing? What if it was a physical thing that we're carrying like a physical brick with us all the time? And isn't there like some element of the stress brick that we carry with us into all these different conversations and we're going like, no, 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 I'm strong enough. I got this. And the question isn't like, oh man, that's cinder block. Like how much does that thing weigh? Exactly 32 pounds. <laughs> I could lift that. The question is not, can you lift it? The question relevant for us this morning is how long do you have to carry it? Or maybe even a better question yet, are you even supposed to be carrying it? Is there an element of the stress that you carry, this anxiety that you carry that says, no, 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 I'm proud that I got this. I read this story earlier on. Aaron Noy, he shares his story about why 
his anxiety was wrapped up in the pride of I got this. Because for him, he was, he was saying, I always loved to be like a busy person. Ever since school, I loved having too many things to do. I loved running from one thing to the next to the next. I loved the fact that people depended on me because it made me feel important and it gave me something to do. In fact, I thrived on it and I carried it around with me everywhere. And so when stuff started to shift in my life and over the years, my my level of productivity started to drop and he's the kind of person that would notice that his productivity started to drop. He, He said tasks that would take maybe a half an hour to an hour would start to take longer. In fact, I really noticed at one time when those little tasks that would maybe take 20 minutes, it took 20 minutes just to get around to starting. And the anxiety, the stress, it started, it started to build up. But what I knew, what I knew is that I got this. I can carry this. I don't need help. I can do it. And so after the stress of those tasks taking longer and longer started to compile on top of themselves and he started to let people down, which added onto the stress. He noticed that his sleep patterns were becoming more and more irregular, which is okay. He's still a young guy. Maybe this is normal. He's driving down the road and for him, this is the the critical moment. This is the crisis moment. He's driving down the road and he goes, it felt like my heart was malfunctioning. He later learned that that was his very first of many panic attacks. He said, what I needed to learn is that my anxiety was telling me over and over again, I got this. And what 1 Peter 5, the antithesis of that anxiety is that humbling process. Anxiety says, I got this. And humility says, I need help. Cast all of your anxieties on him for he cares. He's the one who cares. And Aaron goes through, he goes, I knew I needed help. Now, of course, that's gonna come from God. But, but along with it, he goes, listen, I needed help from some others. And so he brings in some trusted close friends and he shares with them the stress that he's been carrying around. And he says, no, no, I don't have this. My prize is I can, but I don't. I need to set it down. I need to share it. I need somebody else to help carry it with me. He sees a doctor. He gets on medication that doesn't work in a vacuum. At least it's not supposed to. And and so he starts to make these changes with his new accountability people in his life. He starts to to change his exercise habits. He starts to change what he eats. He stops self-medicating. He goes, my my self-medication of choice is junk food and binge-watching TV. It's like, you are not alone, Aaron. Not alone, (laughs) He goes, that needed to shift. I needed to change. Listen, what I put into my body, more green leafy stuff. But along with that, he goes, for him, it was just as, if not more important, is the change what he put into his body, not just physically, but mentally. Dallas Willard is the spiritual author who writes a lot of books. And he says, one of the greatest freedoms that human beings have is the freedom to choose what we choose to think about and what we choose to dwell on. Which is why Paul, when he's writing his letter and he's like wrapping it up, he's putting the the, the exclamation point, he's he's building up towards the end and he's like talking about anxiety, he's talking about stress, he's talking in a very, very difficult place in the world. 
He's getting ready to land the plane of his letter on joy no matter what. And he gets to verse 8 and he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You have control. What you put in your body, you have control what you put in your mind, think about those things. And along with Peter, in due time, in due time, God will raise you up. You don't have to carry it. In due time. How long? A week? Maybe more. A decade? I don't know. In due time. What I do know is that I'm a terrible person to ask because I'm the type of person who burns his mouth on a hot pocket. I don't know when due time is. A minute and a half in the microwave, three minutes to cool. I can't wait for that. Who's got time? I don't know when your due time is, but the promise of God, promise of God, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, think about those things and in due time, God will raise you up. This is the challenge this week. For those of you who are struggling, for those of you who are hard-pressed, for those of you tossing and turning at night, for those of you who just need a takeaway and you're like the journal thing to find out what's stressing me out, that's good. But for those of you who need something even just so much more simpler, when you're choosing something good and noble and pure and trustworthy and admirable and excellent to, to dwell on and to focus, focus and dwell on just this. Focus and dwell on the fact, Peter says, cast your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares. Church, you have a God who cares. And if you need one picture to dwell on, to remind you that your God cares, it is his cross. That word, that picture, keep that in front of you. The cross is the picture that God cares. But the story doesn't end there. Because you get more than a picture about how your God cares. You get a picture about how powerful your God is. Because you have a cross and you also have an empty grave. And they go hand in hand. Because the cross is going to show you this week when you're stressed and when you're worried and when you're anxious, the cross is going to show you that your God cares. And the empty grave is going to show you that your God can. He's powerful enough. That not even death could separate you from the love that is in, G in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The cross shows you he cares. The empty grave shows you he can. Dwell on those this week. I invite you to stand up. Let's pray together. Let's pray over those fears, those anxieties, those worries. We are with you, church. We have a table set up in back. We would love to pray with you during this last song. You could walk up to that table. You could share your name, contact information, social security number. No, I'm just kidding. You walk back there. You could share your whole life story and they'll listen to you. And they'll pray for you after it all, no matter what it is. You could walk back to that table and not say a word and just stand there awkwardly and they will wrap around you and they will pray for you that way because we love you. And that's what kind of church we are. We love you even if we don't know you yet. If you have a fear, if you have an anxiety, we'd love to lift that up for the God who cares and before the God who can with you today. Let's pray together. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, you do care. 
And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that that truth invades our minds. That you who is good and pure and noble and admirable and trustworthy and excellent, that you fill our thoughts and fill our hopes, God, and it drives out the anxious fear that seems to creep in. God, give us that peace. Give us that that all-surpassing peace that so far exceeds our understanding. That's not a peace just from ourselves or from our own doing because there isn't a level that we can work hard enough to achieve it. Give us that peace, Lord. Your peace that exists outside of ourselves that miraculously, supernaturally, we find no matter what is around us. Teach us joy this week. Jesus, and we pray this in all the hope and the confidence of a God who cares and a God who can. In your name we pray, amen.